Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. You know it's November, and we all know what that means. It means I get to eat a lot of turkey. So do you. Don't pretend like you won't. And I get my grandma's dressing. Now, for those of you who've been around for a while, you've heard about the legend that is my grandma's dressing. And I'm looking forward to it. But notice I said it's the season of Thanksgiving, not Christmas. In my house, we have this very strict rule. We don't even talk about Christmas until after Thanksgiving because we're going to thank God before we celebrate the birth of Jesus. You know, everybody does it differently. I know there's some of you that have like four Christmas trees already up in your house, right? (laughs) That's okay. Today, we're going to talk about a virtue that I think has been almost totally forgotten in today's world. In a world of instant gratification, we tend to forget one of the most important things that Jesus tells us. Let me give you an example. There was a consultant from Boston, and he was working with a group of college graduates. And he said to them, you know, in in the rising workforce, you all are, are known for something. You have this reputation. There's this one word that is used to describe you all of the time. And it starts with the letter E. What do you think that it is? Now, here you've got these doughy-eyed recent college graduates. They're about to take on the world. They're going to conquer the world. So they're saying things like exceptional, energetic, not awesome. Awesome doesn't start with E. (laughs) Excellent, exceptional, energetic, those kinds of things. They were bouncing off the walls. They're typical 23, 24-year-olds. He says, well, those are all great words, but they're not the one that I'm looking for. Because you see... From my experience, this is the consultant talking, not me. The consultant says, from my experience, what I hear over and over and over again is I'm trying to place recent college graduates. The word that I hear often that starts with the letter E is entitled. Entitled. In fact, millennials are often labeled as the entitled generation. In other words, those who feel like everything is owed to them. They deserve more than anybody before them because it's owed to them. They're entitled. Now, before any of you people that are my age and older say, yeah, those young people, you got to watch out for those young people. They think they know everything. Well, I wonder how they got that way. (laughs) Yeah, we create a generation. We create a generation that feels like they are owed everything. Well, how did we do that? There are lots of different ways. I'm just going to go over a few. For one thing... Uh, For those of you who are my age and older, it's very typical that the average person worked a lot more than 40 hours a week. It's very typical that a great number of marriages ended in divorce. These are typical things. We're talking about good people who love their kids and want to spend time with them, but they're busy doing work trying to provide for the family or their family is split. And so to make up for the time difference, what do they do? They give them things. We all like to give things to our kids. We give and give and give. They love their kids so much. They say, here, you can have this. I don't get to do, I don't get to go into your ball game, but let me buy you this. Let me give you this. Let me do this. And so this generation learned, hey, if I want it, I'm going to get it. If I want it, I'm going to get it. Plus, we overly protected our kids. Now, some of you are going to relate to this. When I was a kid, we packed me and 18 of my friends in the back of my dad's pickup truck. It's against the law to do that now. You're strapped down by 42 seatbelts before you can ever get out of the driveway. <laughs> My poor daughter, when we put her in the car, she's nine months old. She's strapped in there. She's like this. 
<laughs> she can't move because she's strapped in so hard. Well, we've got to protect those kids. You can't ride your bicycle without a helmet. Because Lord forbid, you skid on the gravel and fall over, you might scrape your knee or bonk your head. But there's more. You know, when I was a kid, I guess I'm giving away my age here, so don't make fun of me. When I was a kid, when you were in a competition, you actually had to win to get some sort of award. You had to win. But today, it's like, okay, Johnny, you came in last place, but you ran your hardest. You came in last place. Here's your ribbon. Here's your ribbon. Good job for coming in last. <laughs> what incentive does that give people to win? Now, I'm not talking about politics, so don't, don't try that with me. <laughs> but see, it's not just the new generation. It's me, too, and I'm going to tell you a story. You're probably going to make fun of me later. But that's okay. I'm used to it. Joe Joyner's not here, so don't tell him about it. As part of my job, I have an iMac, an iPad, and an iPhone. There's the iPad. Well, um, earlier this week, I was going to check my email on my iPad, and it froze. You would have thought, by my reaction, that something had fallen on my head. Ten seconds. It froze for 10 seconds. I couldn't believe it. I, was, I could feel my blood pressure rising. 10 whole seconds that I will never get back because my iPad froze. Do you know all, those, all that I could have gotten done in 10 seconds? But technology, the way that it is, why should I have to wait 10 seconds? Why should I have to wait? I'll never get that time back. Why should I have to wait? Steve Jobs made a better product than that. Except it wasn't his fault, it was the Wi-Fi. But what I want to talk about today is the opposite of entitlement. It's the forgotten virtue of gratitude. Everybody say it with me. Gratitude. gratitude. Say it one more time. Gratitude. gratitude. Let's look at what the Bible says through a very interesting story about some people who looked entitled and didn't stop to show gratitude. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11, we see a peculiar interaction with Jesus himself. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, let me pause right there and give you some context. Hopefully, this will help you understand kind of what's going on here. A leper had one of the most painful diseases that the world has ever known. You can't really imagine how painful it is. We don't see much leprosy today. But they had these oozing sores that were all over their body. And it smelled, and it was incredibly painful because the, the sores attached the, to the nerve endings, and it was just unbearable pain. A leper could often go to bed and go to sleep at night and wake up with, a, with some sort of rodent chewing on them. Yeah, it's really that gross. They could lose a, an arm or a finger because of it. It was very common for this disease. But that's not the worst of it. The physical pain was bad, but in the cultural context, every time someone came to them, close to them, because leprosy was contagious, they had to yell out, I'm unclean! I'm unclean! In other words, stay away from me. Can you imagine that humiliation? Can you, don't touch, don't dare touch me. 
We're talking about people who are going years and years and years and decades without any kind of physical interaction. You can get a hug from their mama. So these 10 guys, they see Jesus across the street and they're miserable. They've been living a miserable life. It's been rumored that this man can make a difference. He heals people. They've heard about it. You can only imagine how excited they are. Come on, Jesus, help me. I've heard you can do this. Help me. I mean, this could be the greatest moment in their lives. If he would just stop and hear them and heal them. This is a miracle upon miracle. Let's see what the next verse says. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. It was a miracle. The miracle they had been praying for. The miracle that they had been hoping for. They were healed. Their disease was gone. Their greatest dream was realized. It was this outlandish prayer of being healed from leprosy, and they had seen it happen. Verse 15 says something really, really interesting and surprising. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. That's really odd, a Samaritan, thinking Hebrew. But Jesus asked, where, where, were there not ten cleansed? Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? You can see clearly that Jesus is dumbfounded. They were begging and crying out in distress. Their life was basically nothing. All they were going to do was survive out their days as long as they could until they died all alone. They cried out and God sent Jesus. Miracle of all miracles. But where did they go? What, what were they doing? Now, the nine guys, they probably weren't bad guys. They probably were in a hurry to get home and kiss their wife in 10 years. They wanted to tell people what had happened so they could be reintegrated back into society. I mean, they didn't ask to have leprosy, right? They didn't deserve this, right? I mean, this is what should have happened. They should have been healed. It's almost as if they, within an instant, after suffering all of that time, they suddenly and instantly shifted into an entitlement mindset. Only one stopped to thank God for his blessings. So this is my question to you. Will we be that one? Truthfully, the odds are stacked against us. Just think about it. Will we be the one that pauses every day to give glory and honor to God? The one who gave us life and everything that surrounds us. Will we be the one to stop in all the busyness of our lives and lift up a true heartfelt worship to the creator and sustainer of the universe? Will we be the one to give praise and honor and worship and glory to the one who, when we were sinners, when we deserved nothing but death, God sent his son Jesus to do something for us that we could never do for ourselves, that we could never deserve. Will we be that one? But see, it's not just about God. We're trying to develop gratitude. Let's think about the people that impact you every day. Will you be the one that stops long enough to write a thank you note to express your appreciation to someone who's done something really nice for you? 
I bet you they'll be shocked. Will you be the one today to say to those who are hanging out with your kids in kids' church, hey, thanks for pouring into my food. It really means a lot that you take your time every week to come in and minister to my kids. Thank you for investing in my family. Will you be the one to stop and say thanks to a coach or a teacher or someone who leads your small group or your mom or dad or our awesome worship pastor, this incredible band that leads us in singing every week? Will you be the one to stop and show honor and gratitude? Or will you be like most people, like me? Too often I feel like I, I think to myself, you know, I deserve this. I don't have time to stop and say thanks. So my question is, will I be that one? Or will we live in an ungrateful mindset? You may say, yeah, you know, I'm not ungrateful. I'm a generally grateful person. Well, that's what I like to think to you about myself. But as I've examined my life, as I've been preparing this message, I realize that there are too many moments that I live with incredible ingratitude. I'm so un often ungrateful in so many different ways. Let me just show you quickly through a story in the New Testament that Jesus told about a guy that had two sons. You've heard this story before, probably. A younger one and an older one. But the funny thing about this story is that you can see the ungrateful mindset in both of them. So I'm going to give you two quick phrases. If you're taking notes, write these down. The first ungrateful mindset says, I want it now. Everybody say that. I want it now. Come on, you can do better than that. I want it now. When do you want it? Now. Now. Every other Sunday night, we have student small group. And this past Sunday night, it was at Pastor Josh's house, and I was in charge of doing several things, um, as we do every, every time we get together. And one of those was to stop and to pick up the pizza. So I stopped by Little Caesars. And many of you that have been to Little Caesars know that you know, their big thing is hot and ready. They have hot and ready pizzas. They're ready to go all the time. You don't have to wait. So I showed up, and I'm looking in the lobby, and there's like 15 people guys in the lobby. And I'm thinking, what in the world? Why are there all these people waiting? So I go up to the counter, and this guy, who's maybe 16 years old, looks at me with this real desperate look on his face. <laughs> I said, I need four pizzas, two pepperoni, two cheese. And I'm thinking, he's just going to, you know, these guys have all ordered special pizzas, so that's why they're waiting. That he's just going to pull, grab mine out of the, he's going to grab mine out of the, out of the heater there, and we're going to go. He's like, sir, I'm sorry, we don't have any pizzas. <laughs> That's like going to KFC and there's no chicken. <laughs> yes, it's happened, I know. And I looked at him and I said, what? He said, yeah, we, we're really behind, we don't have any pizzas. And I'm looking behind him. There's this flurry of all these teenagers and one manager with these desperate looks in their face. They're sweating. They're putting pizzas together. I said, okay, how long is it going to be? He said, eight minutes. <laughs> eight minutes? You're supposed to have pizzas ready all the time. I'm late. And I said, I don't have time to wait and walked out the door. I know, right? Eight minutes for somebody to make me dinner. The question is, why didn't I have time to wait? Well, because I started too late. My Sunday afternoon nap went a little long. So I didn't start getting ready fast enough. Eight minutes. And I couldn't wait. And the kid just looked at me like, I can't believe you just said that to me. 
Yeah, I did. I hurt his feelings. I'm sure I did. Eight minutes. Well, you can see that same attitude in the younger son in this story. It's called the prodigal son. Jesus says this in Luke 15, 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of your estate. In other words, I want it now. Most folks receive their inheritance after people die, right? But not this guy. He wants it now. He wants to go on and live his life. He doesn't want the rules of his father's house. He doesn't want to wait. He wants what he is entitled to, and he wants it now. Now, I can't really understand why, but for some reason, the father gives in, and he gives it to the son, and you know the story. Basically, the guy just goes out and blows it. He gets prostitutes. He has a big old keg party. He does all these things. In a matter of weeks or months, he blows all of this money that has taken his dad decades to accumulate. To accumulate. What's interesting to me is that the upcoming generation kind of has that mindset as well. But it's not just the upcoming generation. It's all of us. You'll see people in their 20s. I was like this. Oh, when, when I wrote this, I'm like, man, I'm convicted myself. You'll see people that are 23, 25, 28 say, you know what? I want to live at the same standard that my parents are living. I want the same kind of house. I want the same kind of car. I want the same kinds of vacations. I deserve this. Because I, took, I rode in this kind of car. I live in this kind of house. When I was younger, I, I want to keep that same standard in my 20s. Well, where do you think they learned that, parents? They learned it from us. We taught them, if I want it, I'm going to get it, and I'm going to get it now. I know it's been a long time, generations, probably back to my great-grandparents, but there's this really old, kind of archaic philosophy that many of you may have never heard of. But I'm going to explain it to you as simply as I possibly can. You might want to write this down. You see, they believed in this crazy idea that if you wanted something, you saved up your money, and then you bought it. I know that's insane. Take a deep breath. They saved up their money, and then they bought it. Some people would be thinking, but why? I can just throw it on my charge card. I can just go out and get a loan. Yeah, you can go out and put it on your credit card, and you can pay 29% interest for the rest of your life. Been there, done that, and got the T-shirt to go along with it. I know, I know. They actually would save their money and do something that is foreign to many of us, and that's called waiting. They waited. But what does wait mean? Waiting means that you don't get it now. I know, I know, that's, that's insane. Because we've been trained, we've been conditioned, and we've conditioned those that have come behind us. If you want it, just because you want it, you deserve it. And you deserve it now. And, you don't ha- if, and if you don't get it, then somebody's conspiring against you. Because they owe you. They owe you what they have. Something's wrong with that, don't you think? Man, this slapped me across the face. I ain't preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. But here's the second ungrateful mindset. I deserve more. 
I deserve more. This is the older brother's mindset in the story. If you know the story, the younger brother goes off and spends all the money, and he wakes up one day and is thinking, I am so stupid. Now, he's waking up um, in a pig slop. He's waking up because he's feeding the pigs and sleeping with pigs. And yeah, I think he's coming to realize he was kind of dumb to do what he did. He says, even in my father's house, the servants have more than I have, so I'm going to go home, and I'm just going to beg for scraps. So he goes back, and you know the story. The father's waiting on the outskirts of town and embraces him, puts a robe on him, puts a ring on his finger, screams, my son is back. I'm so happy. Let's throw a party. And he throws this huge party. He pulls out the fattened calf, and he slaughters the calf and says, hey, steaks for everybody. My son's come home. Well, the big brother, when he sees this party that his dad's throwing, starts having his own pity party. He's outside saying, wait a minute. I've never broken the rules, and nobody's ever done this for me. I deserve that and more. This is how the story plays out in Luke 15, 29. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. He's saying, somebody owes me something. Come on, Dad. I deserve more than this. I didn't go out and squander your money. And this is what we see so often. I do it too. People say, I deserve a better job. I deserve a better job. And if I can't get a better job, then I'm just not going to work. Or I'm going to complain to anybody who will listen about the job I have. I deserve these benefits. I deserve this vacation. I mean, it's crazy. How many of you encountered a 10-year-old? A 10-year-old who thinks they deserve the latest cell phone. How dare you not get them a cell phone that has internet? Come on. My poor daughter. <laughs> yeah, she's not getting a cell phone. She's nine. She's not getting a cell phone. She might be lucky to get one when she's 14. Speaking of my daughter, this past Friday night, we hung out with a whole bunch of you guys at Dave & Buster's for guys' night and the girls' night out. And we had a great time. Our older kids won a whole bunch of tickets playing these really awesome games. I won a few, too. It was a whole lot of fun. We had a great time. As the night came to an end, we gathered all these tickets, and we had 2,888 tickets. That's a lot of tickets in about an hour and a half. We did good. And so we took them, we cashed them in, they told us how many we have, and so we go browsing around in this little store. Now, if you've ever been to Chuck E. Cheese or Dave & Buster's, you know they've got all these trinkets everywhere, but this store was a little more upscale. They actually had a crock pot. My wife wanted that, but um, we didn't have quite enough tickets. And so we said, all right, go look. You, know, you both got 1,444 tickets. Go see what you got. So Ashton, within about 10 seconds, had picked this Angry Birds tumbler. He found it, Angry Birds. Oh, he loves Angry Birds. So he's got this cup, and he's carrying it around for the next 20 minutes while Belle's looking. Because as is custom in my house, Belle does not make quick decisions. She has to examine everything three times before she ever decides. And finally, she decides on this really cute little round, fuzzy pillow with a peace sign on it. It's so cute. Well, as they're looking around, Kelly and I are talking. And we say, you know, we got enough plastic cups. We don't need any more you do too. You know you've got more plastic cups than you can ever... I mean, how many times do you have to clean out your closet and throw away plastic cups 
from, little, from wherever you've been years ago. We do it all the time. We don't need any more plastic cups. And the last thing that Belle needs is one more fuzzy pillow. She's got at least 12 on her bed now. One more fuzzy pillow. So we decided we're going to teach our kids a lesson. I'm, this sermon's coming up. I'm feeling good. We're going to teach our kids a lesson. We're going to wait. We're going to save. And we're going to get something better later when we get more tickets when we come back. It was a great plan. Kelly and I are high-fiving each other. We're awesome parents. <laughs> then we told them. Yeah, you would have thought we told them they couldn't eat for a month. <laughs> Poor Belle, she had a complete breakdown. After letting her fuss and fuss and fuss and fuss and fuss for what seemed like forever, I finally said, all right, Belle, that's enough. I've heard enough. <laughs> oh, those of you that don't know my daughter, you know, she's got a quick tongue. I don't know where she gets that. She says, well, Dad, is it okay if I just cry? Because you ruined my whole night. <laughs> don't feel sorry for her. <laughs> no. Talk about feeling entitled. I had to take a deep breath. I don't respond well. I don't respond well to kids being disrespectful. I don't. To anybody, much less to me. And she's such an amazing kid. She really is an amazing kid. And she's such a sweet girl. I knew she was tired. It was 10 o'clock at night. She was grumpy. And she was disappointed. But as a parent, I couldn't let that go by. I just couldn't. So I took a deep breath and counted backwards from 10 so that I didn't start screaming because I was tired too. And I said, Belle, you know, if after a night of special fun, family time with our friends, great food, awesome games, if you feel the need to cry yourself to sleep because you didn't get one more cheap little fuzzy pillow to add to your collection, you go right ahead. But remember, there's going to be millions of other kids who are your age who are going to go to sleep crying tonight too. But not because they didn't have a fuzzy pillow, because they didn't have any food to eat today. Ouch. They're hungry or they're homeless. They don't have any toys to play with at all. Needless to say, our car was about as quiet as this room right now. Y'all are thinking, man, you're so mean. Jeez. But within a few minutes, she seemed to absorb this and realize what happened, and she started changing her perspective. She began to immediately talk about all of her blessings, all the things that she had to look forward to in the coming weeks, because, you know, we're going to Disney in a week and a half. I don't want to hear about a fuzzy pillow. <laughs> so she started talking about that and how excited she was. Now, you might think I was overly harsh, but I think she got the point. She's such a great girl. She's such a great girl. I'm so happy with who she is. But these are lessons that we can't let go. Yeah, I know, I'm so mean. But I'm trying to break an ungrateful mindset. Because if I don't deal with that now when she's nine, when she's 29, she's going to feel the same way. Somebody owes this to her because she wants it. And she's not going to learn the value of working hard and saving. And she's not going to be proud of herself for doing it. See, the value isn't just in what she gets. The value is in how hard she works to get it. 
And that's the lesson we were trying to teach. Wow, it's quiet. So let's do this. Let's take a moment and just kind of sit back and see what God would say to us about our own ungratefulness. What I want to do, I want to break it down into three sections. I want to ask you to be really, really honest and see if God would expose any ungratefulness in your heart as he has in mine. So let's look at it biblically. And you know what? I'm not going to be severe with you. I was a little severe with Belle, maybe. I'm not going to be severe with you. But I want you to be severe with your own heart. The first one, if you're taking notes, let's, let's ask God to expose any material or financial ungratefulness in our lives. Think about it for a minute. I'm going to speak in the first person, so you can speak as if I'm talking to you. I'm dissatisfied because my TV's not good enough, and you know, I can't be really happy unless I have the right TV. I don't have the right kind of countertops in my house. You know, if we have another kid, they're not going to have their own bedroom, and you can't really raise a godly kid if they have to share a bedroom. That just wouldn't be right. I don't know if you've done this before, but I certainly have. I mean, I walk into my closet, and I'm looking around at this whole wall of clothes that belong to me. Man, I don't have anything to wear. I don't have anything. You know what I'm really saying? I bought all these clothes, and I hate them all. Or I've outgrown them. Again, whose fault is that? But, you know, I've been to places where people can really say, I don't have anything to wear. And yet my closet is full of things, and I'm going to say, I don't, I don't have anything to wear, but simply because I don't like what I have. Or, I can't wear it anymore. You may say, I don't like my car. I mean, I've actually heard people say, my car's three years old, I need a new one. I actually heard one person say one time, my car doesn't have an iPod outlet, and I can't have a car that doesn't have an iPod outlet. So they went into debt and bought a car so they could plug in their iPod. They do make these things called adapters. <laughs> Think about it. I really wish I had more money. I really wish I had a better job. I really wish I could provide more for my kids. I really wish, I really wish, I really wish. Call it, whatever it is. You're thinking about it right now. I know you are, because I did. Check it. Check that right now. Check it against the Holy Spirit. Don't be shy about it. Don't beat yourself up about it. You're normal. But it doesn't have to be that way. I know I'm talking to virtually everybody here. I know that I am. Because we're all human. After all, I am materially and financially ungrateful at times. Let's call it what it is. Let's don't hesitate. Let's check it now. Let's own it. Let's all own it together. And let's change it. The next thing may be relational ungratefulness. It could be that you're sick and tired of your parents being all in your business. It could be, you know, my husband... I wish he worked harder. I wish he'd get a different job. I wish he helped more around the house. I wish he made more money. I wish he was a better spiritual leader. My wife, I wish you were more fun. I wish you were more romantic. I wish you would get a better paying job. I wish she enjoyed being with me as much as she enjoyed being with her friends. I wish, I wish, whatever it is. If you're single, I'm, you may say, I'm not happy because I don't have a girlfriend or I don't have a boyfriend. If you're relationally ungrateful, go ahead and check that. You're normal. 
It happens to all of us, but it doesn't have to be that way. Let's own it, let's check it off, and let's put it down. All right, let's do this. For the rest of our time, let's cultivate an attitude of gratitude. I know that's a cheesy phrase, right? I mean, how many times have we heard that? An attitude of gratitude. But how do we do it? How do we change our perspective? How do we go from being entitled to being grateful? I mean, it's Thanksgiving time. It's a perfect time to do this. How do we cultivate that attitude of gratitude? Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a decision together. We're going to make a decision. We're going to decide to decide to turn every blessing that we have to praise to God. We're going to turn our blessings into praise. We're going to make that decision. Every blessing that God gives us, we're going to turn into worship to Him because He's the one that deserves it. We're going to remember that all good things come from God. Write this down. Why? Because every blessing I don't turn back to praise turns into pride. Every blessing blessing that I don't turn back to praise turns into pride because it becomes, well, I must deserve this. I had this coming. I I worked hard. I'm worthy of this. I deserve more, and I want it now. It's pride, pure and simple. It's entitlement, because every blessing, every good thing, comes from God, who is the giver of all good gifts. So we're going to pause and give praise and honor and credit to God for all of our blessings. And we're going to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. I love how the Apostle Paul says it in Philippians 4.11. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Notice he says here that he's learned how to be content. He doesn't say he's learned how to be happy. That's a big difference. When we feel like we deserve to be happy all the time, that is an entitlement mentality. He doesn't say we won't be happy. We will have happy times. But he says that through the strength of Jesus Christ, we learn to be content in whatever circumstances we're in. If I'm healthy, if I'm not. If I've got money, if I don't. If I like my job, if I don't. If if I've got a lot of hair, or if I don't. Whatever I've learned, after all, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Again, I've learned the secret of being content in everything. This is something we've learned that we learn. We learn how to do this. It's a mindset. We train our minds, our hearts, and our attitudes, our spirits. We have to learn it. What's the secret? The strength of Jesus Christ. That's the secret. That's how we learn by relying on the strength that comes through our relationship with Jesus. Now, by nature, most of us are not grateful. By nature, we're not. We are sinners. By nature, I'm not contented. And you, you might say, What? You're a pastor. You have to be. I'm a person. I struggle with it too. This, this message has spoken to me more than probably any of you. I can be spoiled and ungrateful. 
God deserves better than that from me. He deserves better than that from me. He has blessed me and he deserves my gratitude. I have great people and they deserve my thanks. I love what Ecclesiastes 6, 9 says. Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. In other words, better what God has put before you than looking around and hoping for something more. Better the blessings that God has put right here than the longing for what we wish we have, but we don't. Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. Proverbs says this, the cheerful heart has a continual feast. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. The next time you say, I'm sick of my car, instead, let's look at it a little bit differently. You say, I thank God I have a car, but because the fact that I have a car makes me in the top 2 or 3% richest people in the world. I have transportation. My house is always a mess. God, I thank you that I'm blessed with a house and a family and friends who come and visit me. My house is too small. No. God, I'm grateful that I have a toilet and running water and an air conditioner when it's hot and a heater when it's cold. I'm thankful, God, because these are blessings that you've given me. Well, I don't really like my job and the people I work with or whatever. I'm not saying that because I love my job. And I love the people I work with. They're all here, so I kind of have to say that. God, I'm thankful in a world where so many people don't have a job that I have one. And I'm going to choose not to complain. I'm going to choose to be grateful. Well, I don't like this about my body. God, I thank you that I'm healthy and I have this day to make a difference in the world around me. Lord, thank you for my friends. Thank you, Lord, not just for material things, but God, thank you that you sent your son Jesus when I didn't deserve him to be sent on my behalf. Thank you that you took a person who deserved hell, death, and eternal damnation. God, thank you that you did something for me that I never, ever deserved. Thank you, God, for forgiving and transforming this person. Thank you, God, for all the blessings that you sent. Bow your heads with me this morning. God, forgive us for our ungratefulness. Have mercy on us for our spirit of entitlement. Lord, change us that we would never complain when you have blessed us beyond what we could imagine. Help us to see those who are truly without so we can see how much we have and be grateful not just for what we have, but most of all, most of all, Lord, for who, for who you are. Forgive us for our ingratitude and transform us. Help us to be the one, not just to feel gratitude, but to show it, to show it to you and to show it to those around us. God, help us to turn every blessing that you pour out into praise. With your help, Lord, we will be the one. Now, while your heads are still bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to ask, is that your prayer today? Just take a moment and be honest. I'm not trying to beat you up. I want you to feel uplifted because you have so much to be grateful for. 
you may recognize, you know what? I've never really had an overwhelming gratitude towards God. Why do you think that is? There's probably a couple of reasons. Either you've never really gotten to know Him, or you don't truly understand what He's offering you. Let me tell you how good He is. You talk about what you deserve or what we deserve. We deserve more. We deserve this. We deserve it now. What we really deserve is misery and death. But because of the grace of God, He sent His Son, Jesus. And now because Jesus died for us, because He rose again, the Bible says that anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That's why you're here. Anyone who calls on His name, when you truly know Him, when you understand His grace, guess what you're going to do? You're going to be the one with the attitude of gratitude. Your only reasonable response when you understand that grace is to give Him your whole life because that's exactly what He gave for you. Some here may say, you know what? That's me. I'm not walking with Him. I don't truly know Him. Today, I want to be forgiven. I want to be saved. I want to give my life to Jesus. When you do that, your sins will be forgiven. You will be transformed, and that's why you're here today. If that's your prayer today, would you say to yourself right now, yeah, that's me. You got me. That's me. I give my life to Jesus. That's the greatest decision you can ever make in this world give your life to Jesus. If you already know Jesus, but you know you struggle with entitlement, but you want to refocus your perspective on all of God's goodness in your life, if that's you today, would you join me in lifting your hand and say, yes, I want to live a life of gratitude. I want to be a grateful person. Is there anyone here who has experienced ingratitude and you want to be grateful? As hands are going up everywhere, as you're experiencing and calling on the name of Jesus, everybody, would you just right now, all of us together, let's pray. We're going to pray simply. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my ungratefulness. Go ahead and pray out. It's okay. And for all of my sinfulness, I need a Savior. Jesus Save me from my sins. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit so I can serve you. Overwhelm me with worship. Thank you for new life. I give you mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.